We are the crystal gems. We'll always save the day. And if you think we can't, we'll always find a way. That's why the people of this world believe in garnet, amethyst, and pearl. And Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode of the Genre Equality Podcast. My name is Hitzir. I'm Hadi. I'm Aisha. And this month, uh, we'll be covering the first month of uh, 2019. Um, it's only January, but there's so much to talk about. That's true. There's uh, a lot to talk about. I know, right? We were we were thinking like we'll wait till summer when things heat up with Game yeah. of Thrones, with Avengers Endgame. Huh. But right out of the block, there's so many big titles. Yeah. And so many little ones too that are really, really good. I mean, there's a lot of Netflix-driven shows. Yep. On streaming, like, yeah, right? not just Netflix, you're right. Uh, yeah. yeah. But I mean, that being said, a lot of the big titles this month, such as, you know, Glass, Punisher, and a couple of others, like, were slightly disappointing, or, or perhaps we had mixed feelings on it. Mm. Uh, and the ones that we that kind of shown, or the ones that we're going to universally praise, are yeah. kind of the smaller gems like, that we're going to talk about. Okay. But I guess, you know, um, we can't avoid the big topics, like, you know, your Black Mirrors, mm. your The Punishers, mm. and Glass, of course, is going to be a very divisive topic. Um, <laughs> everybody is debating the merits of Shyamalan's superhero treaties. <laughs> okay. Uh, but we shall we shall discuss that later lah. But first of all, um, first of all, let's kick off with something that we all love, mm. uh, the Good Place. Uh huh. The Good Place just recently wrapped up its third season. Yep. yep. And I feel that it is still as great as it's ever been. Um, since its very first season, the Good Place has repeatedly rebooted its central premise and shifted our un- understanding of its setting and what its characters are capable of. Mm-hmm. That it's still able to do so this skillfully and this radically in its third season without becoming predictable is an astonishing feat la, in terms of writing and Indeed. in terms of just yeah. putting the show together. This is television's smartest comedy right now. And I do have to say that it's not like a ha-ha laugh out loud comedy, although sometimes there are those moments. Mm-hmm. But it's just a very, very clever comedy. Yeah. Um, it's operating on a whole other level in that sense la. There's complex emotional narratives Wonderful character development And it's also often laced with Astute lessons on moral philosophy um, It offers you plenty to think about While kind of relentlessly plying you With um, whip smart puns about food And pop culture zingers um, What do you guys think of the third And slightly shortened season of The Good Place? Okay You have to be impressed with how I feel like it's becoming like a, a pseudo Doctor Who yeah You know what I mean Okay okay Like see, going into that. These different realities Going into these Different like Pocket dimensions Where um, And exploring really uh, Heavy philosophical Ideas mm-hmm. But putting it In a way that it com- That I can understand Sure You know Like it felt like a, You're doing a Very fun Philo 101 course In NUS You know that sort of thing Yeah, mm. yeah. Where um, It doesn't drag on lah. Uh, And again It helps because it Really charismatic characters Yes, you know, um, Kristen Bell, who plays Eleanor, right? Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> she's I love, such I a. Love, I love her character. Yeah, you know, she's she's really the anchor la, for me. Mm, uh, for so sure. again, the good place is very unexpected. This was not something that I thought we would go be going through. La. I thought we'd be doing another reiteration of the bad, uh, the the neighborhood, mm-hmm. or you know, something like that. We would still stay within a setting. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. Mike sure shows, you know, like 
parks and right Work, workplace, workplace comedy scenarios stuff. and all yeah. that. Right? So I thought it would be of that same vein. But that being said, right, they they cycled through so many reinventions. We actually got back to the good place. Correct. <laughs> like, like it's first season premise, just with a different set of new characters that yeah. they will introduce next yeah, season. Exactly. So that will be interesting. What do you think about this, Isa? Yeah. What do you think? Uh. Okay, uh, in the initial phase, especially when they started cycling through everything, uh, we were having this discussion, right, Hits, about how um, them going to help, them going to go and help their family members and their friends and all of that, mm-hmm. could have, they could have sat on that for a lot longer, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I did feel as though I wanted a bit more of that, mm. in particular, for that particular arc, I felt that uh, it could have benefited, because for those few um, episodes, right, uh, there was a lot of character growth. Mm. Right, and it's a very character-driven story. Defi- despite the fact that our main cast aren't the focus of that, uh, but some really, really standout episodes this season. Uh, Janet's Void, for one, yeah, I thought was brilliant in so many ways. She's um, amazing in that she nails everybody's mannerisms so perfectly, and mm-hmm. more so than just an imitation. Yeah. In fact, they asked a lot of Janet this season because you know she had a cool bar fight scene as well, she which we, we thought we would never see. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Kristen Bell, but I thought the standout of the season was actually Darcy Carden. Mm. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this season definitely her lah. Yeah. But Kristen Bell is the one that I feel is that. Uh, she was our first POV character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and in the finale We got back to her to Emotional her arc the, Yeah like. correct yeah. With her and Chidi And all that mm-hmm. And also that That overarching love story With her and Chidi Is, is great it's, I love it It's near It's a near flawless love story mm. You know And ha- those kind of emotions That you, f- you, you, you You kind of feel right Which is rare in a comedy lah but very common In a Mike Schur comedy Yeah it's all about the heart lah You know Like how he, he nails Um Um in uh, Leslie Nope's character with uh, Bri- uh, Bri- Parks and Recreation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What um, Amy Poehler? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leslie Nope's character with uh, Ben Wyatt. Ben uh, Wyatt. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. going to say Bray Wyatt. <laughs> 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 Wrong podcast. Shout out to our high hits fans. <laughs> um, and that, for example, right? And yeah. uh, Amy Santiago and and Jake Peralta. Mm. Yeah. And for this one, you have uh, um, Kristen Bell's character Eleanor with Chidi lah. Mm. Yeah. So all that. I don't know that love, I, I just love how he does this uh, Overarching love stories yeah. Very well tied up I mean yeah. that could, it, could, it could go wrong So many ways right It could just end up being Like a serialized Like 50 first dates You know mm. where Because they're constantly Just oh, yeah, starting their memory that, again, again. Right But the whole idea Of memory and identity That they explore Via the love story arc Is fascinating yeah. And I think that they uh, They've A lot of complex Emotions That Eleanor in particular Cycles mm. through right Or even Chidi Which is rare for the Um which was rare for the first two seasons, mm. uh, definitely come true. And I am quite happy the way that they allowed that to grow and then the way in which they put a conclusion or at least a kind of a... Cliffhanger. Yeah, a cliffhanger on that. Yeah. Um, I feel like what keeps The Good Place fresh is its um, cycle of reinvention, which is... Um, Really good lah And then they're making Really clever jokes And clever puns But like you both mentioned um, At its core The show is about heart lah And mm. it, it's it Characters emotional arcs lah mm. um, You want to root for them Yeah And that's why in the end When Chidi and Eleanor After all that they've been through Have to separate once again mm. For various plot mechanics I mean It it still hits heart lah Yeah um, So they've spent so much Of the season Kind of 
reinventing themselves you know they how do we start we started in like a time lamp a t- timeline redux yeah. so to speak yeah uh, and then we go to um, a, a touch by an angel kind of show where they yes. try to save la- um, souls around the world yeah and then we go into janet's void and then we go into the good place lobby or accounting area yeah. and then we actually go to the bad place and then we have to recreate the whole thing all over again you know so i think they cycled through like dozens and dozens of premises and then we come full circle into this that's all well and good that like that tickles my brain la, but yeah. like the the reason we want to keep watching is because we love these characters. Correct. And and emotionally they are they are very grounded lah. Mm, All are. of them. All Except them. maybe Tahani. I mean Tahani is great. She does have a good arc with the sister which mm. grounds her. It's uh, I was talking Jason. more more about Jason lah. Yeah. Because of his wackiness lah. Yeah. You so cuz he feels like the one most disconnected yeah. in the season cuz he doesn't really do anything except yep. to be comedy fodder. Mm. Enter that one one part in where he had to shine lah. He's a bit like um, he's yeah, <laughs> correct, correct. He's a bit like uh, a Scully in Brooklyn Nine Nine. A bit, yeah. Or that guy from Parks and Rec, the one that everyone hates. Yeah, I, f- I forgot his name. Uh, yeah, like yeah, yeah, every yeah. Mike Show show has that. Has la. that yeah. yeah la. I'm surprised you, de- you never mentioned um Jim and Pam la, which was the original like it couple for yeah, Mike I Show know, shows. Yeah, I wanted to say that, but then like, I mean, that's the office lah. Yeah, that's the office. I he was know. just a staff writer. Yeah, right? that's why. That's cool, why I didn't cool, mention cool. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I love that the finale can they actually kind of strip back on the jokes and yeah. they strip back on the narrative inventiveness yeah. to kind of focus on what started the show in yeah. the first place. Um, it was more f- is full circle more than a narrative sense, but in an emotional sense as well. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And also that uh, the whole idea of the point system being uh, flawed. Flawed. Then, uh, spoiler alert: No humans have entered a good place in five hundred years because of how complicated the world is and unintended consequences. I love the way Correct. that they broke that down. Yeah, I right. It was brilliant. Right? Yeah. So they are distilling this very complicated idea that morality doesn't exist in a vacuum, right? Yeah. And it's correctly telling us that it's getting increasingly harder to be a good person when good intentions are no longer enough. You yeah, know, right. uh, every choice we make in modern society is complicit in some evil or another. Yeah. Um. So it's impossible to be a good person. Um, too many complicating variables, lah. Shall we say, lah? Correct, correct. Um, so I, l- I love that little lesson in moral philosophy. It's something that they do very, very well. I agree. Uh, over and over again in the show. Um, what else stood out to you in this particular season? Uh oh! Finally, we had we we see people from the good place <laughs> properly, <laughs> and how annoying they are. They presented them in in kind of um. Almost a hippie, like a neighborhood council kind. Yeah, of, those neighborhood estate watch, yeah. watch kind of people. <laughs> but the neighborhood estate watch from like the gentrified area of yeah, Brooklyn, you correct? Know? Yeah, you know, and the, the, the put up swe- put up sweaters and, yeah, and the token the, white uh, black guy. Yeah, yeah, and the the over politeness. Yeah, and so annoying. The the bureaucracy and, and the bureaucracy, and yeah. they mean well, but they're just not going to do anything about it except yeah. discuss. Exactly. Yeah, and um, therefore they didn't realize that. For 500 years, no one has entered a good place, lah. Or they didn't care. Or they yeah. didn't care. Or exactly. Didn't care, I, I think for immortal beings that are you know trillions of years old, 500 years is nothing, lah. It's nothing to yeah. them, lah. So it's just a blink. That's why they were saying that you know, um, in a few million years time, we'll we'll get to your complaints. Yeah. You know, for because to them it's quite nothing, lah. Correct. Uh, yeah, fantastic stuff. Um, how would you rate this uh third season of the Good Place? I'll give it a solid eight mm. out of ten. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Isa? I'm giving it a seven point five. Nice. I'll give it an eight as well. Mm. Uh, continues to be one of our television's uh smartest, uh most emotionally engaging um comedies out there, mm. Smart with heart. Yes. Smart with heart, mm. The the Mike Sure staple. La. Yeah. If we could review Brooklyn Nine Nine, we would as well. We would, it's, yeah. it's it's a similar formula. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, next up, we're gonna kind of talk about something a little more hmm. um cerebral. 
artsy. And no, actually, the other one is so cerebral. No, Go Place is very cerebral, <laughs> but it's accessible, you see. Suspira is inaccessible to some people. Um, yeah, yeah, but I, I guess I just spoiled it. Like, we'll be talking about uh, Luca Giudichino's uh, Suspira remake, yeah. um, which might be divisive amongst uh, fans and amongst us, and even amongst fans of the original Dario Argento uh, Suspira, because mm. it's mm. so different. Yeah. Um, I mean, on a personal level, mm. I consider it to be uh, a masterpiece. I really, mm. really love this this film. Um, it's it's kind of carnal in mm. a very like visceral way. It has, you know, a lot of rich subtext about um, power structures, mm-hmm. about national guilt that is very uniquely German. Yep. Uh, a lot of themes about motherhood um, and quite effective uh, body horror. Yes. Uh, plus, you know, you got you got um, Tom Bjork's spell, spellbinding score. Yes. Um, some intoxicating dance sequences, which was missing from the original Suspiria. Uh, this film, to me, feels like witchcraft. Mm. You know, um, you guys watched it with me at GB Pile Labor together. Yeah. Uh, Shouts out to Anticipate Pictures who brought this movie in because no other distributor no, yeah. would take a chance on yeah. this. Um, what do you guys think about Luca Giudichino's Suspiria remake? Honestly, yeah, it freaked the fuck out of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it was a, it was, it was very well made, mm. right? There was a lot of very tight um, choreography when it comes to the dancing, mm-hmm. when it comes to the body horror mm-hmm. that that scene with the the dancer getting a uh, spoiler alert ripped to shreds, right? Yeah. yeah, those were really fantastic things, yeah. lah. Mm-hmm. It's I just, <sighs> yeah. I think what yeah. was very telling is that I was sitting next to Hardy and. Uh, Every every time something got extremely you know fever dreamish right, yeah. you would just turn to me and you ask me, "Am I awake? Is this like?" Oh, yeah, because dreaming? I fell asleep. Yeah, so I mean, uh, usually, I mean, we know that Hardy falling asleep at movies has become a thing, especially and a good indicator of how well a movie does. But in this particular case, I think it, like it kind of like bled into yeah, it did. the actual movie itself, it was right? There yeah. were just moments in time where he wasn't sure if he was dreaming, uh, based on what was going on at the point in time. Yeah, that was mad. Yeah, um, I felt that you know while it shared the same period setting and atmosphere as Dario Argento's um nineteen seventy seven original, I think this, I know I know we saw it in twenty nineteen but it's actually the twenty eighteen version. We just ah, got it late okay, okay. This twenty eighteen version of Suspira is a radical reimagining that is very different, mm. and I feel of superior thematic density than Dario Argento's version. Mm-hmm. Uh, the original Suspira became a cult classic because of its evocative imagery yeah. and kind of revolutionary use of color and composition. Uh, but it has less to say cerebrally, cerebrally mm. than um, Luca Giudichino's one. one. Yeah. yeah, and comparing them is obviously ine- in- inevitable. Uh, it's of a course. remake, of yeah. course. But it will also be strangely unfair considering they're so dissimilar. Mm. This version looks to evoke the same sense of disgust and foreboding, but it's essentially a companion piece with narratives of differing intent. Um, I think it's disorienting and disturbing. Yes. That's why I, yes. I thought it was good as a horror film. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It worked that. That way, you know, uh, how they I like how they use the graphical nature of certain scenes mm. to great effect. Yeah, mm. you know that last scene where I mean the, the last part spoiler lah when everybody dies. Yeah, I felt that was well deserved. Like, to it got us there and then it showed us in one brilliant take. You know, yeah, every every um, how they choreographed it was great lah. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, it, was, it was it's a masterful film. Mm. But I don't like it. Okay, that's you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Totally like cool. I, 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 I watch it and I loved. I, I, I loved how much effort and 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 how much thought was put into it. Mm. And I, I, I recognize that. Yeah. But it's bec- I just couldn't connect with the film mm. for some reason. That, yeah. I yeah. Think, uh, like for me, uh, it's it's kind of different because 
I loved the film, but I have some major issues with it at the same time. You know, uh, I think it's also because of the thematic complexity and it, they're trying to put so many things, right, uh, into that. I do feel that it drops off in certain areas and for that for me came at the climax. Like, as well choreographed as it was supposed to be, I felt as though, like, certain things weren't... Um, certain elements in the climax weren't deserved, right? Like, I needed more background about certain things. I needed more law. I needed more... Like, don't expect me to fill in the gaps at that particular segment just because it's the climax. Okay. Right? So the resolution of everybody dying uh, doesn't necessarily resolve everything for me as a viewer. Lah. And I had I took issue with that. In fact, all the way up to that point, I was like, wow, this is amazing. Right? And then I felt a little disappointed once I left the cinema because I thought it could have been better. Yeah. Right. Um, I guess in conclusion, how would you guys rate this? I'll give it, for me, a 7 out of 10. Lah. Wow. For a film that you didn't like I didn't like But then I get the masterfulness of it You know I get that how Like the choreography was brilliant mm. Like the dance sequences Everything The body horror Everything was on point mm. It just didn't connect to me I don't know why So you're saying that It had good parts But it is lesser than The sum of its parts Yeah Okay Gotcha so yeah, gotcha so Yeah Okay so 7 out of 10 Is perfectly fair What about you Aisa? I'm gonna give it a 7.5 mm-hmm. uh, I mean I love the film And I, I've watched it twice uh, but I felt the same way both times, right? I was just trying to like see if there was something I missed, if I wasn't paying attention. So many good things, uh, so many great things. But at the end of it, I still felt unsatisfied when I was done. Yeah. Uh, so I'm gonna give it seven point five. Nice. Um, I'll give it actually for someone who like likes it a lot. Um, in fact, loves it. Um, I'm rating it an eight point five out of ten, oh. which actually isn't too far off from where you guys stand. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I guess this is a recommended film. Although the caveat is that it is very artful. Might not be for everyone. It might not be for everyone. Similar to, I mean, we've reviewed movies like Mandy and stuff like that. Yeah. It's it's, uh, it's different. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, a quiet taste. Uh, you might like it. You might not. But you know, give it a shot, lah. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially if you are a fan of the original and you want to um either complain. Or you want to You know People hate remakes yeah, I get right? it. Yeah. Argento isn't a fan right Argento hates it Yeah He hates Tommy York's score as well uh. That one I don't get Because Tommy York's score Was masterful as fuck Well but Like the Goblin score Was also yeah. In it's own way He thought it was too pretty Ah uh, uh, okay Yeah okay. yeah It didn't evoke The, the kind of Industrial um, Disturbing Nature of The original Goblin score Right So that was the That was the issue uh. Uh, Next one we, uh, We're a bit late to this We were supposed to cover it um, <laughs> Last month But you know um, the This particular title Came out um, Towards New Year's Eve Yeah I did We were busy We had already recorded The previous episode Yeah um, So I mean too bad. Too bad lah. But I mean, we we got around to it because this is a significant title. Like we we are talking about Netflix's Black Mirror Bandersnatch. Yep. Uh, boy, did I I get way too invested in this when I first watched it. <laughs> Me too. Um, Black Mirror's latest what they call movie, because it's not part of the actual series. It's not part of it's the not, season. It's yeah. it's a standalone movie. Mm-hmm. It's a technological hit trip. That is kind of a choose your own adventure game, yeah. disguised disguised as the narrative, la. Yeah. By inviting the audience to make choices for its game developer protagonist, um, Charlie Brooker immerses you into like a dozen layers of meta, as you try to rewatch or replay and make as many different choices as possible, um, to kind of discover as many story permutations as possible. Um, roughly, I spent about four hours ish. Maybe five On this And I, I discovered 
five to three different endings, uh, multiple story combos. Um, sure, some were small detours, false paths, or minor variants, but some choices led to some really, really radical outcomes that totally changes the context and your understanding of the story. Yeah, I mean. um, even by Black Mirror standards, I thought this was a mindfuck. That being said, I had like a couple of small issues with it. Same. But I mean, let's get your thoughts first. Like, what do you guys think of this? Mm. Well, to be fair, it was a good effort. Yeah, you spent about four hours too, right? Uh, no, I spent about two and a half to three hours, mm. uh, significantly less than his day, lah. Mm. Uh, but I still managed to come out with like three endings, a bunch of false, uh, those like very short false endings. <sighs> because I'm a fan of adventure game books when yeah. I was young. Yeah, you know, think like Lone Wolf, you know, mm. all that kind of thing. Where your or Goosebumps also, I think had a series of books. So, going in, I expected. I mean. I I loved how well they integrated the technology into the film. Yes, it felt like a nine uh the kind of nineties video game, so the the video realistic uh choose your adventure kind. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, like from the Sega Saturn or something like that. Netflix had to totally recode everything just for this. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. So how well it was uh inserted into the Netflix um you know browser mm-hmm. was near perfect lah. Yeah. Uh, sadly, you cannot use it if you use Apple TV. Yes, as we, <laughs> as found, we out. found out. Yeah. Uh, but then on your laptops or on your phone, I guess HDMI. Yeah. Shit. yeah, because half of the game I actually played on my phone and half on the on the computer because I'm getting tired, so I went down to my bed and played it on my phone. Right. Okay. The remaining the remaining parts. Um, I would say that seventy percent of the content that I I found mm. were not disappointing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it. It took you on a journey that um, you kind of not expect to go on, lah. Uh, especially you know, uh, with uh, what's his name, Collins, Colin, right? Mm-hmm. And that video game character, how he is that 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 um, game master in a way, mm-hmm. not game master, but rather a very important NPC, lah. Yes. You know. Yes. Yeah. I, that would be the yeah. Yeah. So like, uh, how he guides uh, the. Uh, POV character through this entire journey, lah. Mm-hmm. I like how well made, how uh, polished it seemed. Yeah, you know how seamless every every scene went from each scene mm-hmm. after you make the choices. Yes, uh, I mean that how smooth it was really really surprised me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think like I wasn't it ex- expecting it to be that uh, smooth. Yeah, yeah, no loading screens. You yeah. know, nothing like uh, no break in in when as you are going through the story. It happens near nearly. Uh, immediately mm-hmm, yeah. yeah so that kind of seamlessness actually helps with the story more than yeah but there's a technology that they're working with mm. correct um what do you think um any other like thoughts about its themes um what the story is as a narrative Isa? uh Bandersnatch is very interesting for me because in my day job I deal with games and game design, right? Mm. And the that's why I thought you had like you know more insight yeah. about that. So, side about it. Uh, I mean, first and foremost, like this has definitely broken open, uh, like the floodgates to what can be done as far as you know just using, um, this choose your own adventure kind of format, uh, for for brands or for companies or for storytelling, right? Uh, and for Netflix to have embarked on something that quite honestly is very very ambitious uh is it, it's a milestone uh, for sure right uh immediately when they announced it i was just thinking about all the kind of like user data that you can collect 
you know why why people tend towards one choice over another why people choose uh, what were the two cereals again Kellogg's and Frosties Kellogg's Frosties and I forgot what the other one Fruit Loops right so like all these little little things right it's all information it's all data that um, companies like Netflix or any big data company for example would be able to use um, I hate Fruit Loops by the way I never picked it I neither did I yeah uh, we, we, uh, the first time um, I watched it it was a communal thing it was a social thing we were okay. doing it at a friend's place okay right so that was about three hours or so maybe about five endings I revisited the entire thing maybe about three times in total just to make sure that I could get all the different endings mm, um, but I mean well, spoiler alert for some of you who haven't discovered some of the endings, right? Uh, the overarching moral of the story is that there is no choice, right? At the end of the day, mm-hmm. uh, the choices that you are ma- you are making as a viewer, as a participant of this uh, kind of experiment, is false because it's designed that way, right? Uh, and mm-hmm. that's something that, as as a game designer, you kind of uh, understand, and it's very very premise. We are giving you the illusion of choice. You're choosing between two things. It's not freedom of choice per se. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I thought it was very well executed. I thought that the true ending, which I think we all agreed was the true ending, mm, which was, was the toy ending. If yeah. if you guys got there, but we won't spoil <coughs> it. Yeah. So I thought that was great. Uh, I that felt the most kind of like fitting in terms of uh what Black Mirror has consistently delivered for everything else. Uh, but it wasn't my favorite ending. What was your favorite ending? Uh, jumping out the window. Oh, nice. Not jumping off the ledge. Oh. As some people, um, you know. oh, you're talking no, about the meta ending, the, the, yes, the, the therapist ending. where uh, it's reviewed. Uh, yeah, it's another layer of meta. Yeah, I like the acid treatment ending though. Mm. I like the acid treatment ending. I thought the visuals of that were great, right? But uh, my favorite is still the the yeah the meta ending. Yeah, I thought like besides, I mean, you mentioned confronting the nature of choice and the illusion of free will and all of that. It also, I mean, addresses kind of the madness of contemplating infinite branching realities, which yes. is um. A black hole that I've gone into sometimes. Uh, like I'm sitting on my couch late at night, just thinking about this, um, and it, it's it's pointless, lah. And and also, um, on a more meta scale, your own complicity in making the choices that lead to some grisly and horrific outcomes, yeah. Um, that's what Black Mirror is all about, essentially, right? As a show. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, it isn't so much about technology as it's about how people choose to use it, um, whether it's the character or whether it's us who is watching. Um, as crazy as watching or playing this was, I can't imagine the sheer headache in terms of writing and producing this. It's a bit like the main character. I imagine Charlie yeah, Brooker exactly. was holed up in his room. <coughs> yeah, he was. Um, the logistics of it feels exhausting uh, and as maddening like, as a pro- protagonist, as I mentioned. That being said, it um, I think it functions better thematically as a as a just as a concept piece yes. rather than it does as a movie or as a game. Yeah, for sure. Didn't you feel like after this, you wanted Netflix not to do this again? Yeah, I mean, like it's totally possible if everybody like throws money at them to kind of do this thing. They've actually done it for some of the kids programming. Oh, yeah, over in the children section. Yeah, something that I don't really we except for like the animation that we watch, like correct, Voltron correct. and yeah. Carmen San Diego. We yeah. wouldn't really go there, right? Now, if you they did that for Carmen San Diego, I wouldn't mind. Mm. But we'll get to that later. Because that's a game as well, right? I mean, in a way, yeah. yeah. Yeah, correct, correct. So how would you rate this? I guess in total. Honestly, I'll give it a seven and a half. Same. I give yeah. it a seven and a half as well. Yeah. High five. Yeah, same here. Uh, well, I'll give I'll give it a seven because just because at the end of it, contrarian. Like, yeah, it's not so much being contrarian. <laughs> like it doesn't. It works great as a proof of concept, right? Like kudos to Charlie Booker and every all the work that he's put into kind of this. But as a story, mm. right? 
uh, and, and and the story as part of the Black Mirror universe. Sure, like there are nods to it all over the place, and like everybody loves those like little things, right? But as a whole, um, it is impressive, but ultimately, uh, the story is not great, lah. In my opinion, again, like you are, he he was saying in an interview, right, that essentially, he had to go back on a lot of things because like uh, the writing didn't pan out, mm-hmm. right. So in the same way, like if you've watched it enough times, as many people have, right, as Reddit has shown, then you kind of see the flaws in it as well. Yeah, I do agree. Um, I guess that concludes our much belated uh, Black Mirror Bandersnatch discussion. Uh, but I think it 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 does it actually. This amount of time that I had to think about it actually changed my opinion of Black Mirror Bandersnatch. Mm. Initially, I you know I was just very awed by the technological innovation of it and yeah. you know, um, just just the radicalness of it lah. Okay. The more I thought about it, the less I liked it. So I mean, initially, like you came, I came away with it. Wow, this is like an eight or a nine and that kind of thing. But the more I thought about about it as how it functioned as a narrative or how it functioned as a game. Yeah, it doesn't quite hold up, lah. Mm. It isn't as impressive as impressive as as its concept is. Yeah, I mean honestly, in the gaming uh, sense, right? We have a lot of games from Telltale, for example, Which where are far yeah far more superior in terms of uh, storytelling, mm-hmm. in terms of branching stories, especially their Game of Thrones uh, series, their Walking Dead series, and recently their Batman series. So That's all right. those with really high quality uh, that things that you can do. Uh, you feel a lot more involved in the story mm. rather than a, a, a Netflix's uh, viewer and uh, character kind of uh, relationship that yeah. they have, lah. Yeah. I do yeah. agree. Yeah. Uh, next up, we I'll I'll be discussing with Isa because uh, Hadi had reservists and could not watch this. Glass. Yes. Uh, here we go. Um, the long-awaited conclusion to M Night Shyamalan's uh, secret trilogy started in Unbreakable and uh, shockingly continued in Split. A lot of thing. Um, something. That a lot of people did not see coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the big stories of last year actually was that Split was a secret sequel to Unbreakable. Um, like its title implies, I feel like this movie is um, half empty or half full, depending on how you look at it. Fair enough. Um, to continue, you know, that wordplay even further, Glass is a very accurate reflection of Shyamalan at its best and worst. You know, yes. creative tendencies, which is to say that his grand ambitions are, are clumsily executed. Um, I feel like this film. Okay, I, I, it's, it, it's gonna sound that I don't like it, but I like it more than you think I do. But this film is essentially a long close-up of Sarah Paulson as she monologues Shyamalan's dissertation on comic books as a medium, which might be cerebrally interesting to read as an essay on Wizard magazine, mm-hmm. even if its conclusions are two decades too late. Uh, but it's also because of its chin-stroking nature, um, dramatically inert as a narrative. Yeah, uh, we're not joking. Like literally, a third of this movie is just that. Mm. Um, the second act, um, in the mental asylum, was just Sarah Paulson uh, talking about comic books and you know the the a treatise on it as a medium uh, and how it's affected society. Followed by Bruce Willis grunting. Yeah, he really phoned it in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so overall, yeah. right? Uh, we w- we were just talking about how uh, surprisingly we had to defend Glass. Yeah. Um, you know, um, to to other people who came to us to talk about it. Uh, overall, like what what were the things that people brought up that you felt needed to be defended? Well, I thought that the major complaints with Glass was that Shyamalan lost it; he didn't know what he was doing. But I think it's clear when you're watching Glass that this is exactly the story what is wanted 
that he wanted to tell all along mm-hmm. 19 yeah. years ago um, in fact Shyamalan's problem has never been that he doesn't know what he's doing his problem is that he always knows what he's doing and sometimes what he does and what he wants to do is indulgence yeah. and it betrays audience expectations yeah. but you know fuck it like yeah, he's an aut- be them. Yeah. he's an auteur and he's gonna do whatever he wants to do like, which is part of how, why I respect him and mm-hmm. part of why he is also frustrating mm-hmm. um, this entire movie is certainly interesting for sure it's an interesting treatise on archetypes and tropes yeah and it indulgently mirrors Shyamalan's own career in a meta-textual way because, you know, he was at first hailed as an underdog hero yep. and then he is uh, deconstructed as a delusional artist mm-hmm. and then he re-emerges through self-belief, which yep. is exactly uh, Bruce yep. Willis's arc here. Um, yeah, but it's so clumsily executed through pedantic dialogue mm-hmm. uh, and just dialogue, by yep. the way, which isn't Shyamalan's strong suit. That it, it hamstrings this trilogy's natural momentum yeah. and most flagrantly it undercuts its own character's emotional arcs. Um, the promise of a David Dunn versus the Hot showdown is briefly fulfilled <laughs> before it meanders into kind of tedious ponderings and climaxes with an entirely new story that's too telegraphed via I guess Chekhov's camera. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I guess it I am split <laughs> uh, on this uh, broken <laughs> uh, film but um, I did leave more satisfied than most because despite its massive flaws I found it to be a thematically cohesive conclusion mm-hmm. if you this is more of an unbreakable sequel than it is a split sequel yes definitely uh, that's why I felt like you know when he ties it up thematically it actually works la, or as a concept piece mm-hmm. um, I am deeply respectful of Shyamalan's purity of vision and his adventurousness for better or for worse he pushes his wildest ideas to the fullest Mm -hmm. sometimes it's genius sometimes it's not sometimes it completely betrays audience fulfillment or expectation or marketing Mm -hmm. uh, in favour of an intellectual wank like this does Uh, but whether it's bad or good Shyamalan is a blunt instrument and he hammers his ideas home in the least elegant untidiest way possible Mm. Uh, that being said the ideas are good yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, like, we, we would recommend this to anyone who has seen Unbreakable and Split. If you've only watched Split and you've not watched Unbreakable, please don't bother. Yeah. Uh, right? Because it's not one of the... It's not an Avengers movie where you can just jump in. Because, mm. uh, again, like, as Hits has mentioned, it's more of an Unbreakable sequel than a Split sequel. Yeah. Uh, f- for me, I think, like, so much of the disappointment um, that, that had... That people have been voicing has to do with context, right? Yeah. Uh, in the, we we live in the age of superhero movies now, mm. right? And uh, who knows that uh, this might have done better, but also in a more immediate sense, the context of this taking place after Split provides great tonal shifts, which I think people were not ready for or expecting, and a lot of this could have been just done with you know managing expectations. But yeah. at the same time, if you don't market a superhero movie, mm-hmm. um, the way it's supposed to be marketed in this day and age, you're not going to get anyone to, to kind of like watch it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, on some other silver lining plus sides, aside from the script, which suffers from, you know, exposition problems, second act pacing issues, mm-hmm. it's actually, a, just in terms of just pure technicality, it's a beautifully directed film. It is. Um, I mean, its color scheme is a bit unsubtle, but I enjoyed it because it's like a comic book yeah. um, plus James McAvoy is fantastic once again uh, scene chewing oh, with all of his multiple performances his 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 character despite it not being a split sequel or less so of a split sequel mm-hmm. he actually single-handedly lifts this film because Bruce Willis is sleepwalking in this one yep, as he sure. has done for the last 20 years mm-hmm. and Samuel L. Jackson is strangely kept on the bench until the end despite this movie being named after him yep I do understand why it's called Glass because you know uh, in the end it is revealed to be really his movie. Like. Yeah, it is. But there's not enough Samuel Jackson for me. 
No, it, I, I mean, that's for sure, um, what, third act, right? Third yeah. act is the only time that we kind of see him. Pretty much. So, ow, McAvoy's performance, like, I personally thought his performance was a lot more impressive here mm. than it was in Split. Like, Split was all him, right? And all the various, like, personalities that he has to run through, you understand that. It's yeah. the premise of the story. But to see that within the context of Glass, yeah. right, was uh, refreshing, yeah. right? And um, just him having, like, these quick moments where he just goes through so many characters at one more juxtaposed with Sarah Paulson's long, winding, like, discursive mm-hmm. <laughs> nature of, of identity. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that to me, really stood out and that was the most enjoyable part of, of the movie overall. How would you rate this as a, in, in, in conclusion? Uh, I'm gonna go with a 6.5. Nice. I'm it, going with a 6 out of 10. Mm, okay. about, about the same, la, I guess. It, 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 it fulfills the bare minimum of what I wanted it to be, so I'm satisfied. Yeah, me too. Because, you know, I thought it was cohesive. La. Mm-hmm. A- at the very least, you yeah. know. It, it, to me, I know a lot of people from the marketing were expecting a superhero showdown. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing Shyamalan, I knew that that wasn't going to be his thing. He's, he doesn't do those kinds of movies, you know. Yeah. Um, so, perhaps this is an, a problem of expectation and of promise that yes. was, were not fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I thought it was okay. Yeah, I thought it was fine. I mean, again, we would recommend you watch it if you've watched Unbreakable and you like that, and you watched Split and thought it was interesting as a sequel. Yeah. This is definitely it's not a must watch, but you should watch. Only if you've seen the other Only two. If, you if you've seen the other two, then I feel it's a must watch because mm. it, it ties the trilogy up very neatly. Mm, yes, it does. And it might even actually introduce a whole new world. Well, we'll see if that happens, yeah. right? Given that it tanked, I yeah. would love to see the this particular universe that they're they're trying to. Wait, wait, it tanked. Yeah, it didn't make money. Eh. Oh. I mean, like it, it, it debuted number one at uh, the US box office with 47 million. La. But considering that um, Shyamalan, um, this movie was not funded by Blumhouse or Universal, oh, by the way. No. He, he signed a $28 million check his own, of his own money. Mm. Uh, so the current box office takings of like 40 million ish, you know, you're only going to get one third of it after, you know, you pay off, you know, the yeah, theaters and then yeah, and and the production and all that. So he is working at a loss la, right now. La. Okay, okay. But I mean, who knows? Uh, but because of the word of mouth being so poor, I, I don't foresee this movie to have legs. Mm, so that yeah. 48 million might just stay 48 million. He might get one or two million here and there, but you know, not enough for him to suddenly become uh, the new redon- redemption story. La. <laughs> His, uh, the Shyamalan renaissance was very short-lived. Uh. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Okay, uh, next up, um, we're going back to Netflix now. Uh, let's talk about the second and probably final season of The Punisher. Uh, we all loved season one very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but The Punisher season two is a bit of a mixed bag, in my opinion. Um, it's good, but not great. And I feel like a, a huge step down from season one. Um, the action is still amazing. The ultra violence is still copious. Mm-hmm. And John Bernthal is still a Marvel fucking beast. <laughs> um, watching him go from sav- watching him go savage la, is still immensely satisfying. La. But season two lacks the personal resonance, emotional anchor, and thoughtful themes uh, that gave the first season such dramatic hefts. Um, you know those sequel taglines, this time it's personal. You mm. know, like back in the 80s, mm. you know, uh, Die Hard 2, this time it's personal mm. or whatever. La. The problem with The Punisher 2 is that it wasn't personal. Like, there is no... The Billy Russo thing didn't stick with me. Nope. The new story was just him looking for an excuse to kill people. Mm-hmm. Um, this was just a fun outing soaked in blood and pulp. And it works for what it is. And if this was season 1, people... I, I would consider it a success because this is what I expected season 1 to be. Mm. But season 1 showed me that they could be better, they could be smarter, they could address themes of PTSD and violence and the consequences of violence in a more 
a nuanced way um, which is what disappointed me about this season because you know I know it can be better lah. Um, the, those themes of PTSD and displacement that I talked about aren't really at play here and the complex consequences of violence are just replaced with simple violence um, on the bright side you know I did enjoy the villains mm. I think John Pilgrim was great I love John Pilgrim I love the actor that played him um, plus you know the Christian fundamentalists uh, conservative industrialists or outright zealots those are very relevant as villains like, especially in this day and age uh, yeah, what do you guys think of this? Okay, well, for me, honestly, I love the addition of the new characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, John mm-hmm. Pilgrim's great. I really like the girl, though. Amy. Amy. Mm-hmm. Is that her name? Yeah, Amy. Georgia oh. Wiggum. Yeah. 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 Do, you know, do you know who Shea Wiggum is? He was on Boardwalk Empire. Yeah, yeah. He was on season one of The Punisher. This is his daughter. <sighs> oh. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. If you've seen 13 Reasons Why, she's the girl from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I thought she did a really good job mm. uh, in humanizing The Punisher. Inhumanizing Okay Okay I mean I mean because We know that he has This huge PTSD thing He You know With his family Getting killed And all that Um, But he was never Close to anyone Like he was close With Karen for a while Mm. He was close To his wife and children No no After after the death Oh right right Yeah (laughs) And Billy also Yes After all that You know Okay So you know he, 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 He let go of All his connections Right So for this girl Who he suddenly Rescued from a From a bar uh, yeah. You know <laughs> With no connection To him Whatsoever. at all Whatsoever Right So there, were, there was just A happen chance Kind of thing la. You know Happen stance Happen stance Yeah sorry, sorry. Happen, happen chance. chance Can I Can also We met it, it, it works, yeah. it works. Yeah. <laughs> um, But how she made uh, The Punisher Of Frank Castle Care About More than just Killing things right Which It was kind of It's kind of sweet la, You know It, it had a very Terminator Two kind of feeling oh. You know like uh, I get that I Yeah get that. You know what I mean uh, With um, John Connor And uh, the T-800 You know only that Frank Castle is human And not like fucking Yeah And uh, robot la. I get what you mean Because uh, Micro was totally cool With him killing yeah. <laughs> You know in fact There was that famous line From the tra- trailer right Where he says you know I'm gonna kill everyone You okay with that He's like yeah <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. So this is not Micro <laughs> Exactly Where was Micro this season by the I way I have no you idea You would think that when he needed help hacking and shit right He would have asked Micro Correct But you know I yeah. guess He doesn't want to disturb Because Micro finally has his family Yeah, 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 yeah Exactly yeah, yeah. So yeah. he's doing his own thing lah. Mm. I actually enjoyed Jigsaw's story Really? Yes Oh okay, wow. okay, okay. I hated it so Okay much, you know why? Why why why? Because you sh- Okay Usually amnesia stories right Are rather fucked up lah. You know it's a very lazy way of writing right Yeah when, uh, most of the time But I felt like this was Like his fear of that You know the white skull thing Of him really not knowing um, What happened And how he was Going through this Moment of confusion and shit right I felt that it was um, Mostly well written la, For me um, His relationship with the doctor for example I thought it was very well developed also And it felt very natural That both of them were to actually Fall in love lah The know? doctor is actually Played by Maggie Sawyer In Supergirl If you guys yeah. uh, recognise her <laughs> All these little cameos Of other people Billy, Billy Russo already has his way With like brown girls Yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I only the oh, That was the thing When all three of them Were yeah. on screen together It's like oh You, have, like, a, you oh have a type God, You have a type You really yeah. have a type Yeah You no. go with amnesia right yeah. and Actually I felt like That tied in perfectly yeah, exactly. Because his amnesia Um it crystallized that Billy Russo is Billy Russo even without Correct. his memories because in yeah. the end he evolved into the greed yes. and the um, um, attention for power and yeah. all of that. La. The only problem I had with the whole Billy Russo story, right, is that they didn't fuck up his face enough. 
He's yeah. still too pretty. No, exactly. Yeah. Like, hits and I were just like, like it doesn't make a difference. Yeah, you need to fuck that face up a bit more. Like, go have a missing nose or something. Because as of right now, he's right? He's still handsome. I, I, I would trade my face for his face. You know? I would too. Any day. With all those scars, yeah. Yeah, in fact, I think he might look, he might look more grizzled and handsome. Because like, he used to be just a pretty boy. Yeah, right? exactly, yeah. you know. Uh, so yeah, that, that was the thing. The, you know how he, when he finally saw Frank being the Punisher, you know, mm-hmm. when with the, the, the stupid... Um, the review. What it's called, yeah. the review. During, was, his, was, during the heist. Uh, during the heist, correct. Yeah. That was a great scene. I was like, oh shit. You know, and all that fear crystallized in his head mm. and then how mm. he went into survival mode and all that thought. So I, I felt that all those parts were very well deserved. Mm-hmm. It's just that it, it was very two very disconnected stories for me. Like the Billy Russell story and that uh, Pilgrim story. Mm-hmm. For me, it was just the disconnect was just too far. Yeah. They introduced such a great new villain and then they kind of dropped him for five, yeah. six episodes. Correct, to focus back on Billy, Billy Russell. Yeah. So like it felt very... Um, and in the end Billy and the Punisher Didn't even really have a confrontation Correct He just lay there dying and Dying yeah He just I mean spoiler alert like, He yeah, came he, up to him And just shot him I mean well deserved death also lah You know how the, the surgeon Like just took his money And left him left there In a dumpster In like, the dumpster yeah. I was like wow this surgeon are Not bad lah I mean he's one of those Criminal surgeons like, What do you expect Someone yeah. a drunk criminal surgeon Yeah Yeah you know that kind of thing Um, I, I'm I, So apart from the little girl He also I, I really enjoyed the relationship With him and uh, One Nick guy uh, Curtis Curtis yes yeah. You know that kind of thing So I felt those characters Really stood out for me Curtis and uh, The girl Amy mm. yep. And how they actually Kind of round out uh, Frank Castle for me mm. Right right yeah. It's more like a moral compass yeah. Kind of conscience For me I wish that they had focused On either Billy Russo This season Or Pilgrim yeah. Instead of having Two simultaneous storylines Which were very disconnected yeah. What about you Isa? Oh uh, well, for me, oh, I was actually very annoyed. I, I, I think this is for me at the kind of at the near the end of the season. Amy goes like, uh, you just wanted an excuse, right?" And mm. it feels to me like this entire season was just basically a series of excuses mm. for violence. Mm. I did like that like because he tried to play it off as I'm saving this girl because I want to help her. Yeah. But she calls him out on it by saying that you were just looking an excuse. Uh, you exactly. were okay. You found me in a bar and you wanted to kill a bunch of motherfuckers mm-hmm. and I, I was your excuse lah. And I thought like Her being written So unlikably Really helped in um, Exposing yeah. that yeah, Yes yeah. for sure yeah. uh, what, what was amazing Like she had these Like very kind of like Pointed questions right uh, About So everything that people Are gonna tell you To not ask someone With PTSD She basically broke All the rules and goes like Oh do you think of them often Like do you imagine What she'd be like If she'd grown up And things like that mm. Those are all things that Like people is like No <laughs> Like just don't ask him that mm. Right uh, She doesn't care yeah. She's so far removed From the type of life That he has lived And the kind of trauma That he has suffered Right That she doesn't care Right And that exposes A lot of things That becomes a point of contention uh, I did wish that They explored that a bit more But with so many things Competing at the same time Correct Right and not competing like in harmony. You know what I mean. Like if they did the jigsaw arc to, uh, if the jigsaw arc and the pilgrim arc kind of like melded together to create a greater sense of like time pressure, mm-hmm. right? It would have been great, but it ends up being very draggy and yeah. unfocused. Uh, at the end of the day, for me, I thought that uh, Russo's arc was annoying. I thought Madani was annoying more so than last season. Uh, and like It's just it, it felt like spillover Right If we're talking about PTSD And all of that Those things We did in season 1 And I th- thought They were very well dealt with mm-hmm. To bring those things Into season 2 When they could have Focused a lot more deeper 
uh, on, on on the Christian fundamentalist aspect, yeah, yeah. Uh, which which is is more relevant, right, at this point in time. But it felt like just glossed over a bit. Yes, I agree. Like so many compelling things. John Pilgrim, uh, I don't know what the actor's name is, but f- phenomenal acting, good acting, yeah. Uh, and I really enjoyed that. And I just thought that we could have used a lot more of that instead of like the half-hearted ending. Both arcs mm. that they explored this season. The six episodes or six or the the whole middle stretch where they they just dumped uh, John Pilgrim for Billy Russo's um, amnesia mystery. You know, you kind of follow him trying to figure out who he is, why why Frank Frank did this to him, blah blah blah. I mean that that really dragged the show for me because I mean because we knew because I know lah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean so we it, knew you were an asshole. It it has no like relevance to us in, as an audience lah. Mm-hmm. More to him as a character lah. Yeah. But then like. Just hurry it up already lah I, I know correct. already Correct You can wrap it up In one episode You know Correct yeah. Correct. Yeah Um. Yeah I, I've seen that They can do better I thought um It's treatment of Unlike it's first season uh, It's treatment of female characters Was very disappointing This season Oh definitely But Bada- okay. Madani was just shown As a goof Total goof Um. I'm just getting into traps Um. Amy Bendix You know I know they wanted her To be this petulant child But you know She felt uh, Ungrateful Kept getting into trouble mm. If they wanted her To be like This streetwise grifter You know They didn't do it yeah, very well yeah. uh. She was not streetwise at all She was mm. like Lost all the time mm. and, and and not just the women I mean outside of Curtis Who is his portrait well um, I mean Mahoney uh, Complete buffoon This season He He's he's <laughs> One of the characters I mean Besides Turk la, That has been in Nearly every show That uh, Marvel Netflix has You know mm-hmm. But he just feels like a Complete buffoon this season. Yeah, and I don't think there's any need to drag him like that. You know, like mm-hmm. so what? Just because you've written Madani in a particular way where she's fucking up for this season doesn't mean that you need to put Mahoney down. Yeah, you know, in order to kind of like exacerbate that. That. So basically, law enforcement sucks. Uh. No, which is kind of the point of Punisher, like. yeah, That's like, why he's needed, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, you've seen. Sorry, off topic a bit, but you know all those police officers with the Punisher tags. Mm. The one where they put the skulls on their cars. Irony. Uh. <laughs> the irony. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's it's very scary, like, especially, it especially because it's American police uh, officers that do this as yeah, well. Yeah, and someone puts their blue life matter yeah. and yeah. With the Punisher skull. I'm like, you do realize what the Punisher skull means, right? I know, Apparently right? Not. Yeah. Not. Um, I guess in conclusion, how would you guys rate this? I know Hardy like this more than us. Like, so we'll we'll uh, start this with Hardy. Um, so last season, I gi- I would have given it about eight. Yeah, see, I give it about eight point five. Yeah. yeah. So this season, even though I liked it, mm. I I mean, I'll still give it an eight. Nice Because I really en- I still enjoyed Most of it mm. Even though There were certain things That I, I had issues with the, the story disconnecting And all that stuff I'll still give it an 8 Because highly enjoyable mm. Very easy to watch through, uh, Go through it um, And I like the introduction Of the new characters Okay How about you Aisa? I'm gonna give it A 6.5 Okay Yeah uh, That being said Still one of the more Enjoyable Marvel Netflix Uh you know, R.I.P. But still one of the more um, enjoyable franchises overall. I thought that was season three uh, was slightly better this time around. Mm. But I'm, I would still recommend it. I feel like if they were to continue the whole Punisher franchise, like, it fits, right? Season two fits. But it's a bit of a slump because we've already seen how good it can be. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. thought with a bit more focus and a bit uh, a few less excuses... Uh, this could have been a great season, so it's a six point five for me. Okay. Um, this was a five point five out of ten for me. Oh uh, I didn't like it that much. Uh, I still thought it was good. You know, hence the passing grade. I am the only one that gave it such a high grade. Yeah. Uh, but well, you know, that's the point of the discussion. <laughs> I mean, I still highly recommend it, lah. Yeah. Hmm. Um. Okay. Uh. Next up, we actually have our first ever. Um. Not quite in studio But our first ever genre equality interview. Uh. We have an interview with uh acclaimed actor. 
Daniel Day Kim, who was actually in town last month as part of the jury panel for the Singapore International Film Festival. Um, I got a chance to sit down with uh, the Korean American actor for a roundtable interview to discuss, you know, his uh, various topics, uh, from his upcoming role in Hellboy, you know, the the new reboot starring yeah. David Harbour, to his memories of playing Jin on Lost, which ah. is entirely me. The rest yeah. of the journalists on this roundtable <laughs> weren't having it, but I was just like Jin, <laughs> Jin, Lost, Lost. Uh, You're a Lost fanboy. I mean, I'm a huge Lost fanboy. We've yeah. discussed this many times. Um, also, you know, he recently he's more of a producer director. Yeah. Uh, he's kind of stopped acting as much. So he's more mm. behind the scenes guy. And Did you talk to him about like Asian American? Oh, uh, he brought it up himself. Ah, I mean, okay. he was uh, a huge proponent for Asian American representation in entertainment and genre filmmaking okay. in general. Uh. He actually talks about how uh, on the topic of Lost and okay. why why he's acted in so many genres. Because you know he's been in Star Trek, he's been in Angel, he's yeah. been in a bunch of genre properties, lah. So he talks about why like Gene Roddenberry was instrumental in mm. making genres such an inclusive. Uh, a medium lah for for actors of his kind because yeah. uh, in the beginning he couldn't get any work except for genre work. Okay. Yeah. Um. So this is uh actually a roundtable interview. So you hear other journalists asking questions. Uh. But you know, uh, I I pipe in with a ton of lost stuff. <laughs> uh. So um. Enjoy. Um. Can I talk to you a little bit about uh the new Hellboy reboot? I mean, personally, as an Asian American actor, how important was it for you to play the role of Ben Damon, especially after you know the recent, um, I guess, whitewashing controversies in Hollywood? Mm-hmm. Uh, what does the character mean to you, and what's your the approach that you're going to bring to it? I think uh, it was it was significant. This the symbol of it, symbolism of it was significant. Um, and after my departure from Five O, I felt like it was the right role for me to take, given the way uh, it all evolved. Uh, I have so much respect for the actor who actually stepped down from the role, uh, a man by the name of Ed Skrine, who has since become a good friend. Uh, because we have such shared values, uh, I actually uh, sought him out after I got the role, and uh, I invited him to have lunch in London when I was in Europe shooting Hellboy, because I wanted to tell him face to face how much I appreciated what he did, because. It, what I did wasn't so significant. What he did was very significant. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So being the sorry, being the industry for that long, right? How do you think that landscape of uh, representation has changed? Is this the time right now where I would say Asian American and or minority groups are the time to shine in a sense? Yes, uh, I think um, there are a number of things that are number of stars that are aligning in our in our worldwide culture that. Um, that's, that are bringing Asian awareness to a, a peak level. Um, I don't. I hope it's not the highest level. I hope this is just the beginning. But you know, there's a, there's an awareness of Asian arts and Asian cinema and Asian culture uh, globally that that hasn't been there before. And so, I think this is the start of something good. So taking it from a slightly different angle, because. For us in Asia, it's, it's, it's slightly, uh, positioning is slightly different since for us diversity means something else. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm just curious to think from the outsider looking in, um, <coughs> do you have any thoughts about coming from the other, the other side? I do, um, I do, because in America diversity is such a, a, a hot topic at the moment and something to be desired. But I hope that the focus on diversity in America uh, spreads th- uh, through the idea of diversity throughout the world because I know 
Asian countries can be nationalistic, and Asian, Amer Asian countries are not necessarily the most diverse countries either. So this is not just something that, that should be talked about in America, this should be something that should be discussed around the world. And especially as we have conflicts uh, like we do in the Middle East and, you know, and, and in parts of Asia, you know, between ethnic groups. It's something that we should be mindful of because ultimately we all have to learn how to live together. I kind of have a follow-up question on that. Um, yeah, because with, with this diversity discussion, um, I, like I kind of feel like we are obliged to support any project with like mm -hmm. all Asian cars or mm -hmm. like female directors. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, what's your take on that? Is that that should never. I don't believe that that should be of more importance than whether the the project is a quality project with talented people. Uh, this is not a charity. Um, we're not here to, to take untalented people and lift them up into places uh, of prominence. But what we are here to do, I think, but, but what is changing is that we're taking talented people who haven't had an opportunity to do what they're able to do and give them that chance. That's very important and that's a very important distinction. And the other part of that equation is that if you are talented in any activity, let's say you're uh, a baseball player, mm. you might have all the talent in the world but if no one lets you play in a game, you're not going to get better. The same, it's the same with, the, uh, the, with show business. There, can, there have been many Asian American actors, writers, directors that I've experienced in my career who had as much talent as anyone else I know regardless of race. But they have not been able to get better because they haven't had the chance to get better. They haven't had, for instance, like if there's a, a romantic lead who's an Asian male, how many, how many do you know that have had a chance to do even one of those projects, let alone two or three and build a career, like someone like Hugh Grant, whom I love, and it's nothing against Hugh Grant, but when there's, there are no opportunities, how do you get better? And so it's about identifying those opportunities and giving people that chance. And now I think that's starting. Personally, for yourself, how do you pick for projects, um, be it film, stage, producing, um, behind or in front of the camera? It's a, it's a number of things, and I don't, I don't say yes to uh, every project for the same reason. Um, but, you know, it always starts with the story for me. Is it a story I think is worth telling? Is there a character that I feel has an interesting journey or an arc or a challenge that, that I haven't done before? Um, what's the representation look like for this character? Uh, he, if I, am I an Asian among other Asians? And what is the statement that that's making? And what is the statement that it's making if I'm an Asian among non-Asians? And, you know, what are the ramifications of what my character does for how Asian Americans in general are seen? Um, how much are they paying me? <laughs> who are the people, who are the people I want, I'll be working with? All of these things are considerations. And it's not always equal. It's not, a, it's not like a, a spreadsheet. You know, it's really just what moves me and uh, among, among those criteria. Okay, so you worked on the U.S. adaptation of The Good Doctor for years, mm -hmm. um, and he's since become one of the highest rated TV shows. So have you, how would you summarize your entire journey in a nutshell? And what's the most important lesson that you have learned following on from this question? I think it's uh, what, we, what I outlined earlier. It's 
you know, that was not a typical path for a TV show. Once a TV show gets rejected, usually it just disappears, it fades away. But again, it's a question of when you decide to give up. And for me, I didn't, I didn't feel like I could give up on that project. So I bought the rights back with my own money and started again. And that's why it took four years to bring to the, to the screen. But it's a happy ending because all of that effort paid off. But it's just an example of, of how tenacious you have to be in this business. Someone once said to me that there's no room for you in show business. You have to make room. And I, I think that's the truth. Because whether you decide to give up or not, show business will keep going. Mm -hmm. But if you really want to make a mark, you have, you have to make that mark. And you have to make yourself necessary. So does that mean your skill set now has to expand? So beyond being an actor, you kind of have to go to be a creator or a producer. Do you feel like that's, that's kind of the, the requirements or kind of the, the, the needs of the, the changing landscape? I think the needs of being a producer are different from being an actor. Whether I've had to expand my skill set, uh, I'm not sure. I think I, I have something in me that, that allows me to be a decent producer. And even when I was starting off as an actor, I thought to myself, I would like to create mm -hmm. and produce. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and so it's something that I'd always had in the back of my mind. I will say that I learned a lot uh, over the past couple of years as a producer about, uh, about not only how the industry works, but how I see myself as an actor. Well, you've done a lot since, I mean, first you came out, you're now a producer, you've directed, you've obviously started in major projects, but is, is the role that you still get noticed for the most still gin from Lost? Yeah, I think so, and that's okay. I'm, I'm very proud of that role, so. <laughs> yeah. no, I'm a huge fan, so I just yeah, have to ask. Yeah, no, it'd be much worse if I was noticed for something I was ashamed of. You know? <laughs> um, and yeah, I think that was the, 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 the project that really uh, made me known around the world and so I, I'm grateful for it and it's a it's a project that artistically I'm, I'm proud of as well. Sure. I mean but looking back over I mean it's been a long time since the show ended what were your memories <coughs> of you know playing Jin and what did the character mean to you all these years later? I think um, the the challenges of playing Jin were, uh, were something are something that stays with me even now um, you know uh, working in another language and 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 what it meant to have a Korean on American television um, speaking Korean and not English. And, and I think the other thing that I remember, I'll always remember, is, is the, the friendships, you know, the people that, that are friends even to this day. Um, because, you know, like any workplace situation, you're not friends with everyone at work. Yeah. You're lucky if you have a couple of good friends that you meet at work. And, and I have a couple of those good friends, and that's... Uh, that, that's a good thing. Wonderful. <laughs> I have another question for you. Um, I think, I mean, even beyond Lost, uh, your initial roles, I think when I first noticed you, you were in a lot of genre projects, mm -hmm. from um, maybe, I guess, Angel to Divergent and stuff like mm -hmm. that. What is it about genre that attracts you as an, as an actor or as a creative? Well, to be candid, it was the only, it, it was really the, the, the place that was most accepting of non-white actors. Interesting. Why, you know? why do you think that is? Gene Roddenberry. You know, when Gene Roddenberry created Star Trek and put a diverse cast in the late 60s, early 70s, he was 50 years ahead of everyone else. Mm -hmm. And so 
it was because of that that we had in sci-fi projects always an Asian character right but he, it, and he didn't have to do that that's how he saw the world mm -hmm. and so genre in general has been a lot more open to diverse casting and I have I like genre I, I have but it wasn't like I was specifically gearing my career toward genre mm -hmm. but that's where I was being hired yeah. because that's where the opportunities were any last words for, for a young actor starting out or a young filmmaker starting out, for example? Don't do Any it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm only half joking, you know, like, this is a very difficult industry. If you feel like, oh, you know, I want to try this, but I'm also really good at this other thing, mm -hmm. do the other thing, because it's probably easier, you know? Um, and this is not something where you can just kind of go in and say, ah, oh, well, I'll just, this will be a hobby that I'll just give a try, you know? If you're lucky enough to succeed that way, I, I, I bow my head to you. But the amount of effort that it takes and long-term, uh, long-term effort is, is significant. So consider that, you know? And then if you do uh, decide to pursue it, pursue it with everything you have. And uh, as I said the other day, be good at what you choose to do. If you're an actor, be a good actor. Take classes. Watch cinema. You know, get your iPhone out and and make a make a short film. You know, do all of these things. Uh, be less concerned about how many Instagram followers you have, and more concerned about developing a technique for being an actor. So, um, that would be my advice. And that was our interview with Daniel D. Kim. Um, I would like to thank the Singapore International Film Festival for helping us out with this one. Uh, we also, in an upcoming episode, the next next episode actually, we have an interview with the cast and crew of a Filipino horror movie called Eerie. Mm. So stay tuned for that. We're going to be having tons of interviews coming up on genre equality. Okay, now we're going to jump into a little segment we have called Quick Hits, mm -hmm. where I round up a bunch of genre stuff that my co-hosts have not seen because you know they are busy living their lives while I'm watching TV shows because and movies. You are, uh, but I mean, job. like, yeah, my job is also to watch movies and TV shows, yeah, exactly. so that is my life. What you can do? I'm a giant nerd. Uh, okay, the beginning of Quick Hits is actually I think my favorite title that I'm going to talk about on this episode. It's a Japanese horror comedy called One Cut of the Dead. Mm. Uh, this Japanese zombie comedy was actually shown at the Japanese Film Festival. That's where I caught it. But it's actually available for wide release now mm. in Shaw and in Cafe, I believe. So definitely check this out. Um, this Japanese zombie comedy is triple layers of meta. Oh, okay. okay. So it's first 40 minutes. It's a B-grade romp shot in one take and in real time. So it follows a film crew shooting a zombie movie and they are attacked by real zombies. Wait, what? So it's it's a 40 minute uh single take film, a bit like you know like Haunting of Hill House that, that yeah, episode, yeah, yeah. you know. So it's just 40 minutes just straight. So this director, you see him struggling to get genuine performances of fear and stuff like that from his actors. So it's a bit megalomaniacal. And then when the real zombies hit, he just like takes his camera and is like, "Yeah, this is my movie." And he just follows everyone around. Ah, okay. So the second half of this movie after that movie wraps is the DIY production of the first half. So it is a movie within a movie within a movie. So then you follow the DIY production. Uh, that, that is the studio that approaches this director saying, that, like, I have this idea 
for our new streaming service, you know, it's about uh, a zombie film crew that gets attacked by zombies and how do, how are you going to execute this, you know. So it's kind of a behind-the-scenes comedy of errors that forces the cast and crew to improvise some of the first half's more baffling moments. Because yeah. there are some <laughs> moments in the first half of the movie that are just... Just straight up weird lah. Like you know Why are actors Just sta- staring To the distance Why is this guy Looking confused Blah 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 Now you see the Behind the scenes Comedy of errors That forces that to happen la. So some pe- somebody Is like drunk You have an alcoholic On set okay. You know Somebody can't react Really well And then some cameras Are not working You know So you kind of see The behind the scenes Production of that Um so some of the continuity errors and sluggish or bizarre moments in the first mo- in the first movie or the first half of this movie is explained later through it's like reverse engineered jokes mm. They give you the punchline first, they show you the punchline without context, and then they give you the setup later in mm. the second half. So it's uh, reverse joke telling la. I thought it was very clever. Um, but more than that, it's just not it's not not just a movie about meta zombie filmmaking. It actually is a sh- a movie about. Indie filmmaking And the joys Of creating art It captures this Thrilling Show must go on Spirit Of shoots Such as this uh, And one kind of the did Is It's ingenious It's bonkers It's meta fun With it's movie Within a movie Within a movie conceit uh, And it's a Laugh out loud Love letter To low budget Genre filmmaking la, Emphasizing that The greatest joys Of creating art Are the imperfections Of the process you know, uh, some of us who are, who are in bands here Or who, who create art Whether you're a writer, a videographer or whatever mm. You know, Some of the most joyous moments are mistakes Or when you disagree with your collaborators You know, and then You put out a product But in the end you're proud of it like, And some yeah. of your fondest memories are those disagreements Or those okay. mistakes You know, some, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just about the process of creating art And how one can consume art without knowing what the process is um, brilliant film It's a 9.5 out of 10 for me Wait I heard Brit. that this film Was uh, budgeted at like 50,000 or 40,000 But yeah. then it earned like 30 million or something In the box office Correct yeah It's it's uh, it's gaining a new lease on life Yeah, uh, yeah It's incredible It's actually um, It's a past uh, glass actually As a as a worldwide budget, uh, worldwide um, gross la, oh, uh, with uh, a budget of fifty thousand dollars only. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, this is what indie filmmaking is all about, la. Okay. And, and, and the director was in Singapore, right? The director was recently in Singapore for the Japanese Film Festival, yeah. along with the composer of this film. Ah, okay. Our okay. friends, uh, Isa Ong and uh, Raihan, Raihan and, Chris. and Chris went to yeah. watch it. So uh, shouts out to them. The only reason I knew this was because I bumped into them after the show, after uh, the movie. Oh, you were at Shaw as well. Yeah, I had an appointment there. Nice yeah. Okay okay. Uh, next up, we'll be talking about the latest season of Doctor Who. Mm. Uh, Chris. Um, I don't know how to pronounce his last name Chris Chipnow Yeah close enough Chris Chipnow um, He takes over as the showrunner From Stephen Moffat As Doctor Who's uh, Groundbreaking 11th season Finds mm. Jodie Whittaker Beginning her journey As the 13th Doctor mm. uh, And also you know A lot of people have discussed this The series' first female Doctor Alongside three new companions Um, This fresh start has certainly proven To be a boon For the long-running sci-fi procedural At least judging by the energy and joy Of its uh, latest season Uh, In particular, I have to recommend two episodes Uh, The first one is entitled Rosa Mm. It's set in Montgomery, Alabama in 1955 Rosa Parks It's about Rosa Parks Uh, Doctor and her friends find themselves In the deep south of America As they encounter a seamstress by the name of Rosa Parks They begin to wonder whether someone Is attempting to change history um, this was a beautifully written episode about segregation uh, Next up is an episode called Demons of the Punjab um, It features the doctor's companion Yasmin t- Travelling in time to visit her grandmother during her youth In the partition of India uh, But everyone gets caught up in the tragic bloodshed of that era mm. um, So there is a political potency and poignance to these episodes That make them stand out mm. uh, As opposed to just you know your regular Doctor Who yeah, fair. Yeah, yeah. 
all but all Indian, all of them are fun and worth a watch. To be honest, lah. Even the ones that are just you know regular Doctor Who type episodes, okay. lah. Uh, that being said, this new Doctor Who is still finding its sea legs, and there are some teething pains. You know, okay. new creative crew, new yeah. actors, new showrunner, but the ingredients are there for something great. So How's Jodie though? Jodie is fantastic. Jodie is the nice. best part of the thing. Um, okay. The worst part of Doctor Who is that it tries too much to emphasize that we are still Doctor Who and goes back to old tropes purposefully. Ah, okay. You know, so uh, there's some episodes that are just like you know normal Doctor Who episodes and, so and a lot of pur- cosmic screwdriver kind purpose- of thing. Purpose- yeah, yeah. Purposefully not inventive to kind of please older fans, you know, who are very angry about you know oh now got now got female Ghostbusters now got female Doctor Who. What but to fuck, be fair, you know? she's not really the first female Doctor Who. No, no, I I know, right? I know. So I know. that's why I don't know why the fans are angry at this. Fans like to be angry. You know, like is it? <laughs> Yeah, whatever lah. Fuck them lah. Yeah. Uh. Okay. It's still 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 seven out of ten. <laughs> yeah, Very yeah, yeah. good. Uh. Restart for the Doctor Who as a franchise. Okay. La. Uh. Judy Whittaker, fantastic. Uh. Okay. Next up, we'll be talking about a particular animation series that uh myself and Isa really really dearly love. Uh. It's Steven Universe, which wraps up its fifth fifth season. Um, Steven Universe in its final arc It hits back to the gem homeworld mm-hmm. uh, As Steven and his family of rebel gems Seek the help of the mysterious and all-powerful White Diamond To heal the corrupted gems back on Earth uh, Besides giving us our clearest glimpse of gem culture And their oppressive class divisions The emotional space excursion Gives a maturing Steven A better understanding of his mother And the, her complicated relationship with the family She betrayed back mm, on the gem yes. homeworld um, it all climaxes with a thrilling diamond war that is tragic and shocking and epic. Um, the finale entitled Change Your Mind is one hour long, um, which is a huge change of pace from the usual 10-minute episodes. Yeah. Uh, and that is suitably huge because it has a lot to do. Mm. Um, there are huge robot fight sequences, new fusions that we haven't seen before, including an awesome design for a new fusion called Obsidian, Ooh. which is a five-way fusion between Garnet, Amethyst, Paul, and Steven. Uh, and I say five-way because Garnet is actually two gems. Yeah. Uh, and they have new new songs and emotionally complex message about childhood to deliver and lots of other things lah. This was actually the climax to Rebecca Sugar's five season plan, and after 156 episode, the prospect of facing White Diamond felt larger and more insurmountable than anything that had come before, which is a credit to its storytelling and depictions of power levels here. Mm, yes. The cool fusions and fights are requisite, but the key to changing White Diamond's mind. Is Steven's purity of heart As you know As it, it has always been As it's always been la. And um, As sentimental as that sounds Steven's childlike goodness Can change hearts and minds And The universe la. You know Kind of finally profil- Fulfilling the title of the show mm. um, It's always been a message Of the show And I'm glad it stuck to it la, Despite yep. all the huge fights And all of that uh, That being said um, Steven universe is so much better Than other kid shows When it comes to thematic lessons <laughs> Yeah too often the message of kids shows are either twofold. One is uh, some variation of you gotta grow up, or the other is you gotta stay a child as long as possible. This season 5 finale lays out the idea that there are childish qualities worth cultivating alongside others that should be discarded or avoided. So it's a refreshingly nuanced and accurate take on how a person should grow, and it speaks to the show's emotional intelligence. Um, I don't know where Steven Universe goes from here Because this last arc wrapped up every single plot thread And gave us complete, I mean total emotional closure um, I know there's a movie coming out in the fall on the Cartoon Network But I think this might actually be it for Steven Universe as a show um, I don't know, there's no, not been any announcements beyond the movie And if so, I just have to say this has been a blast um, And Steven Universe has been truly one of the best things I've ever seen in my life This, is, this was a 9 out of 10 for me Excellent 
uh, next up we're going from the combination of one animated series mm-hmm. to the beginning of a new one. Ooh. Uh, Netflix's reboot of Kanyan, Carmen San Diego. Yes. Kan- Kanye, Kanye San Diego. San Diego. I watched that. Already. I watched that. <laughs> My dark twisted fantasy. Kanye in San Diego. <laughs> Oh wow! Uh, I meant to say Carmen San Diego. Yeah. This is Netflix's new version, uh, now voiced by Gina Rodriguez. Carmen San Diego cos- comes across as fully fleshed yeah. with a new backstory created specifically for this show. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think about this new updated reboot of Carmen San Diego on Netflix? It's a child show, right? It's a kid show, I mean, right. but I mean, like less kiddie than. Um, say the Dragon Prince or stuff like that. You know, Correct. but it's, right. it's still really good. Yeah, I felt that. They, they're such a I mean this is the reboot I mean this is a total new reboot right Yes mm-hmm. New yeah. universe and all that right? While yeah. still keeping the edutainment elements Yeah The educational Correct. entertainment elements yes, Of the know? original Which I really love Yeah like, um, They had the whole backstory on Vile And on yeah. Acme And you know And all this Like the Interpol stuff And all that stuff mm. But I like how they introduce Like the country they're going to yeah. What happens in the country Some interesting you know? facts Yeah so like when the, the I think the second episode Was Indonesia Yeah, yeah. Right you know, The Wayang Kulit Festival and, and, the, and then the soundtrack Was soundtrack to the Gamelan, Gamelan. And yeah. the Gamelan soundtrack Was dope yeah. You know mm-hmm. as she was fighting And all that stuff and, uh, I really raved about it I really really liked this series uh, it was very well made, mm. simple animation style, not mm. too nothing too flashy, yeah. you know. Um, but the story has so much heart. Mm. Uh, Carmen's uh, reasoning on why she is, you know, doing what she's doing, um, her, her the assistance that she has from the from player and, uh, and the brother and sister and the brother and sister, you know, mm. beautiful relationship there. And you know that that reveal at the end of the season, <laughs> uh, you know. It's really, it's just so well done. I re- I really enjoy the world building throughout this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, how nicely fleshed out Vile is, mm, you know. Yes. Acme not so much. We haven't really um got know much about them yet. Yeah. But how well they 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 made Vile was very impressive. Mm. You know, and all her adversaries, right? All their character tropes and flaws and all that, so well uh, executed for me. Agree. Agree. So yeah. Um. For me, I'll recommend this a uh, a good solid eight eight out of ten. What about you, Isa? Uh, Common San Diego is definitely a very nostalgic trip for me because I've played all of the games as a kid. You know, I used to love that. I used to have this little notebook that I kept next to my my goodness knows PC. Yeah. Uh, you know, just so that I could write down all the answers that I came across mm-hmm. and, and made it kind of easier. Um, so that's kind of one thing. And Common San Diego as a game character has always been shrouded in mystery. There was never any need for them to give like a backstory or any need for an origin story. We don't really know. Um. You know who she is and what she's about. She's basically a plot device, right? With with her image on the the mm. box cover. Uh, so for them to come out and to give her a very well thought out, mm. very nuanced, mm. uh, very detailed backstory with her own motivations, with her own struggles and all of yeah. that, really made it. Uh, 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 it was a trip for me. I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, the animation style is very reminiscent of Shira. Mm-hmm. As mm. is the origin story Yeah uh, Finding out that the organisation you work for is evil And then turning to the other side Yeah, yeah. And, I mean like we, we, It hits all those beats But in a very kind of like different way Better than Shira mm, Yeah for sure uh, The music is also definitely better than Shira mm. Uh, I enjoy like the jazzy bebop vibe of this uh, crime caper, which just yes. in the jazzy just bebop vibe. It sounds like you know a crime caper. Yeah, yeah. correct. Yeah. But you know sometimes it soundtrack like you know the Australia episode had the didgeridoo element, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Unisha the gamelan element. So, so. That, that that made uh, each episode unique. Yes, you know? very much so. And unlike here, it has a really cool new theme song. Oh mm. yes. Yeah. 
So I mean that was really really good. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought like as Hardy has already covered, characters were very well fleshed out. Mm. I'm very excited for this to become a very long series, just because I want to see where Carmen goes. Uh, I mean, there are 144 countries, ah. Uh. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they'll hit everything. <laughs> I would want right? them to. There uh. is the Malayan in the opening credits, by the way. <laughs> I hope they hit Singapore one day. Yeah, Ooh, they were so close, Indonesia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nearby, Just nearby, nearby. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So, uh, it's been great. It's been a great start. Uh, I think like a lot of the new kind of kid-friendly animations that be coming out, uh, have been good. But Carmen San Diego stands at the top for me at the moment. How to rate it? Uh, I'm gonna give it a solid seven point five. Nice. Um, I thought what I really loved about this Carmen San Diego reboot. Um, I echo everything you mentioned, but I like that it's really rooted in reality. You know, stories about you know trying to stop the poisoning of rice paddies in oh, yeah. Indonesia. Uh, you know, for an organization to you know make prof to profit of that, the, or the disease resistant rice. Correct, correct, yeah. Or you know, kind of um returning priceless artifacts to exploited cultures in Ecuador and mm. stuff like that. Which is know. a real issue, you know, with yeah. a colonial, a col- old, old colonial masters keeping. Uh, yeah, yeah. Correct. Yeah. Plus, you know, it's it's enthusiastically didactic messages about culture, history, traditions, and art. Yeah. But I mean, you can't really blame the didact- the didactic nature of it because you know it's educational entertainment. Yeah, mm. Uh, so I really love it, lah. Um, I also really like the dialogue. I thought it was very mm. sharp. Um, I I particularly love that I I felt like I was represented in this particular show. <laughs> I've I've never seen another show represent me this well. Uh, because there's that Boston kid that hates fish. That ah, can, can, can oh eat yeah, fish. okay, okay. Never okay. seen any other character. For in a any moment, I was thinking, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> uh, fish hating kids is okay. something that is uh you know uh, really under underrepresented in yeah pop because culture. not many people are fish hating. I know, I know. You know the way that yeah, he no. almost vomited when he ate the caviar, the caviar, caviar you know, and everything. Yeah, I, I really felt that lah. Okay, I, I felt, I felt properly represented. This is my black panther. <laughs> <laughs> not Asian. <laughs> no, no, not, no, no, not Singaporean. Fuck not the Indonesian Malay. stuff lah. No. <laughs> it's about fish, you know. Uh, I like all the n- different nicknames that she's given every episode. My personal favorite is Fedora the Explorer. Oh, yeah, the one the villain yeah. gave her. Uh, yeah. it's, it's stylish and fun, educational, action-packed. Uh, eight point five out of uh, eight, no, 8.5 out of 10 for me Nice uh, And also I mean All joking aside like, It also has great represent- Meaningful representation yeah. For people of colour yeah. yeah, And for people who eat fish mm. Good for you <laughs> <laughs> Yeah <laughs> What else for quick hits uh, Next up I have um, A gritty comic book adaptation Called Deadly Class uh, Deadly Ooh. Class Is getting a lot of hype bef- Because it's produced By the Russo Brothers company and is an adaptation of a Rick Remender and Wesley Craig super controversial image comic from the 80s and 90s. Okay. Yeah, so um, it's a story about a school for assassins set in the Reagan era. Um, so combine that period with the promise of graphic violence, you know, kick-ass kind of violence. I bet the Sci-Fi Channel felt that it could combine the no- nostalgia zeitgeist, you know, Stranger Things, 80s stuff, you know, with the h lot crowd. They work. Uh, unfortunately, this show is quite terrible. Uh, yeah. <laughs> quite, quite, quite terrible. Um, like every single one of its poser characters, this show is just a great aesthetic with nothing of substance underneath. Mm. Uh, from the cliques in the high school made up of gangs, you know, like so, some cliques are like the Japanese kids, so they're the Yakuza, and then, you know, the Latino kids are from the Mexican cartel, and then the preppy kids are like the CIA assassins, you know, uh. and then got the Nazi white supremacists, and then the black pa- the black power gangbangers, you know, stuff like that. Oh my god, uh, I just wrote my eyes so many times. Correct, uh, to the main character himself, they're all just caricatures and cliches, you know. Uh, it feels like... Um, like Misfits mix Misfits in you know, the old British Not old lah From the mid 2000s The mm. British uh, yeah, teen yeah, yeah, show yeah. Uh, Mixed but with KKS lah But uh, with With I don't know With, with Nothing that 
that's too interesting about it lah. Um, it just feels like a series of lazily constructed politically incorrect memes. Um, they are just like we are anti this or anti that. Uh, we are anti this and anti that. You know, it's it's just lazy lah. Recommended? No, not really. You know, um, a lot of his characters they're defined by insert an ideal huh. or I am anti capitalist or insert an ideal. I am anti this. I am anti that. You oh know? no. So they just defined by being anti whatever it is lah. Okay. The the way they talk makes the popcorn nihilism of Fight Club sounds pro- sound profound. Oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> And worst of all, for all the talk of killing and violence and darkness, right? There's actually very little killing and violence and darkness going on. <laughs> um, everyone and everything is just an empty vessel with no real emotion, and it's difficult to invest when there are no emotional stakes, lah. Okay. So this is a zero out of ten for me. Whoa, zero! Yeah. Damn. <laughs> We've had a couple of ones and twos here and there, but this is for zero, lah. Wow. It's probably the worst thing I've seen in my life, though. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Now I just want to watch it just to see how bad it is. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, next up, we'll be talking about another grounded dark adaptation of a comic book. This time on Hulu. Uh, is the second season of Runaways. Oh, okay. uh, Runaways finally fulfills its premise and title. <laughs> they ran away. They <laughs> ran away, lah. So, but despite fulfilling its premise, it fulfills none of its promise. Uh, yeah. It's a busier and faster second season, but it does does it make it a better show only to a small extent. Um, clumsy characteri- characterization, uh, odd pacing, and lazily contrived conflict makes this mediocre teen drama an overlong and aggravating experience. Uh, yeah. Everyone speaks in exposition, and despite having a bunch of superpowered teens on the run, it lacks a sense of fun, danger, or adventure. I inish- I initially thought that the show's added focus on the parents was a smart move in mm. season one, but now but now it's just annoying and useless, uh, and it serves no purpose other than just killing time, lah. Um, they try to hit upon themes of homelessness and class disparity, which is organic considering the story of rich kids living on the streets. But it's done in such a blase manner that it doesn't really resonate. So yeah, I mean, four out of ten for the Runaways is the highest I can give it, lah. Oh, better than zero. Uh, yeah, it's better than zero, but a lot lower than seven out of ten I gave the first the season. The first season, yeah. Uh, next up, I'm gonna be talking about the CW's reboot of Roswell. Yeah, this one. It follows the daughter of an undocumented uh, alien. Well, undocumented Mexican immigrant. Alien, lah. Who returns to a New Mexico hometown where it's shocked to discover the truth that about her teenage crush, crush who is an illegal alien from outer space. So wait, she's an undocumented. Uh, Mexican immigrants So also an alien la? Also an alien So to speak la. So you know The, the metaphor is, is, is Bluntly hammered <laughs> In right there la. Um, So clearly the main allegory They're tackling here Is alien immigration uh, But it But Roswell New Mexico's Attempt to say something About the world we live in today Is ham-fisted at best uh, The reboot fails to live up To its immigration-centered twist uh, By adding nothing New or interesting To the conversation um, If you want to see this done better Go watch Supergirl instead It's yes. a 3 out of 10 Oh, another three. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, a few episodes ago, actually two episodes ago, we reviewed an epic Korean movie called Rampant when yes. it came to Golden Village Cinemas last October. Uh, set in the Joseon era, it followed a zombie outbreak in medieval Korea, backdrop by court intrigue, an evil government faction using the outbreak to gain power, persecuted scholars plotting a revolution, a starving populace, and an exiled crown prince accused of treason who grows from a selfish royal to a noble warrior. So that is exactly the plot of a new Korean series called Kingdom, Kingdom. which comes to Netflix, featuring the same basic story, setting, and time period. It's a bit weird, lah. Right. Um, after watching both, I'm pretty sure Netflix did it better. Um, the movie is more action-packed and filled with swashbuckling set pieces, but it's also cheesier. Mm. The series doesn't have as much action, but it definitely feels grander and more sophisticated, and more. It has more gorgeous cinematography, lah. To be honest. 
Okay. Uh, that being said, both the movie and the series suffer from dire pacing issues, and some stretches feel tedious because it's focused on a uh, convoluted plot rather than developing character investment. Okay. Uh, that being said, it's still a worthwhile watch. Okay. It's a seven out of ten. For That's me. not too bad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, next up, I mean, this is kind of genre because it talks about genre. So I'm going to be talking about the the premium episode of Drunk History. <laughs> oh. Okay. Um. Very quickly, I just have to highlight that Drunk History six season premium was so delightful. Oh my god. It tells the bonkers true story of uh, Mary Shelley, who's played by Evan Rachel Wood, uh, uh, who was inspired to write the character of Frankenstein. At uh, age by nineteen, s- right? Yeah, played by Seth Rogen, uh, and his monster played by Will Ferrell during <laughs> uh, during an opium fueled sex party hosted by Lord Byron. Oh my god! Uh, and her eventual husband Percy, who is played by Elijah Wood. Okay. Uh, somehow this orgy evolved into a scary uh, storytelling contest uh, to see who could come up with the scariest story. Um, this was such a fun way to educate people on the making of a bona fide work of classic genre literature. I had no idea that Lord Byron was involved. Oh yeah, he threw uh, an opium fueled sex party. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I mean the only historical thing I knew that was she was nineteen years old uh, when mm. she wrote it. In fact, like the story that Lord Byron told, uh, was Dracula, and it ended up being published as Dracula. Jesus Christ! I know. Uh, so a lot of uh, things came out of the sex party. Yeah. Um. So seeing drunk people retell the story and then to see the dialogue reenacted by an all star cast is much more fun than watching those self serious Mary Shelley biopics that have come out recently. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, the, go watch Drunk History. Uh, the season, season six premiere. La. Premiere. It is um. Bonkers It's fun <laughs> uh, If you've ever seen Drunk History You know what the premise yeah. is You know It's basically Michael Pena's character In Ant-Man <laughs> Which is just You know a Kind of a ripoff Of Drunk History To be honest <laughs> Yeah Yeah so this is great And and very very quickly I just want to touch upon this Okay Because this is This is so Mind-blowingly insane That Go. I have to tell you guys About this What I have to talk about A new Matthew McConaughey movie Called Serenity Huh? Not to be confused By the Firefly movie Which I got confused with This 2019 Serenity Is a crime thriller uh, created by uh, the showrunner of TV shows such as Peaky Blinders and Taboo, Stephen Knight. And uh, he also wrote movies like Eastern Promises uh, and Lock. Ooh. So, you know, I expected good things. Uh, you know, crime thriller from Stephen Knight. And? Uh, I didn't expect to talk about this considering there's nothing genre about its premise. But its ending is so ridiculous, right? That I have to tell you guys about it. Okay. Okay, so the movie stars Matthew McConaughey as a fisherman. Obsessed with catching one particular tuna, it's like his white whale. Okay. So his his real love is tuna. Um, the only thing that's that's the only thing on his mind until his ex-wife, played by Anne Hathaway, comes to him and offers him ten million dollars to to kill her abusive new husband, because the the new husband has been abusing her, has been abusing their son. Yeah. Okay. So that that was the story lah. So he was supposed to bring him out on this fishing trip, you know, kill him, throw him in the water. That was the story lah. Lost at sea lah. You know? Lost at sea. Yeah. But here comes the twist. It turns out, right, that Matthew McConaughey is actually a character in a fishing video game. No. <laughs> that, that was the ending. Seriously, seriously. That's why he's obsessed with Tuna. He is a video game character. Uh, and the video game is being modified by his son, who is using it to live out his desire to kill his stepdad. Uh, and Matthew McConaughey's character is actually based on the kid's on deceased his biological father. Oh. La, representing the his Damn. his desire for his dad to to save him. La. So you see why it's genre now? It is genre. And how, how unbelievably stupid it is. Was it good though? No, no, no. This this was uh, a one out of ten. Oh know. shit! Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm still gonna watch it though. Yeah, I know. I just had to tell you guys about Serenity because <laughs> the ending was fucking nuts, bro. Uh, you go watch it in in Cathay Cinemas right now because I promise you that ending is worth all the badness. Oh, but I'm God. sorry, I spoiled it, lah. No, no, it's fine. Oh, I, 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 we're gonna watch it too. I know, I know. Okay. Uh, so now we're gonna move on to Isa's anime corner, where Isa will break down the latest season of anime, what to watch, what not to watch. What uh, do you have for us? Take it away, Isa. 
Okay, so uh, same rules apply. Uh, as always, I've given at least three episodes for the animes that I'm recommending. Uh, typically, winter season anime usually doesn't have all the big blockbusters or anything like that. Uh, but that being said, I've got five recommendations uh, for things that I think will be exciting to watch and are very promising. And one disrecommendation uh, on a anime that we've covered before. Uh, and we'll get to that shortly. So first up, we have Dororo, right? Uh, which is an anime about a samurai lord who has bartered away his newborn son's organs to 48 demons in exchange for dominance on the battlefield, right? Um, somehow, this newborn son survives, and thanks to a medicine man uh, slash puppeteer uh, who equips him with primitive kind of prosthetics, um, he survives and begins to hunt down the demons who have... The demons who have uh, all his different body parts. So basically, it's kind of like a procedural thing, Demon of the Week. Uh, and then he kind of regains his part. Uh, the comic relief is provided by a young boy called Dororo, hence the title, who believes himself to be the greatest thief uh, in Japan at that time. Uh, and it's basically a buddy, kind of like a buddy cop thing that goes on. Uh, animation style is very fresh. I think the premise is interesting. Uh, it's a great adaptation off of the manga, which I never actually finished. Okay. Uh, but so far, I am definitely enjoying this. Cool. All right. Um, next up, we have... Next up, we have Rise of the Shield Hero, which is another one in the many, many uh, installations of a very popular genre where you are summoned slash reincarnated into a fantasy world. So the Rise of the Shield Hero takes place where four... Uh, teen boys from Tokyo are transported into a fantasy world by the kingdom of Murloc, I think is what it's pronounced as. Uh, essentially, um, our protagonist is the shield hero. So all of them have various weapons that are their specialty. And he's the weakest of the lot. Uh, and traditionally, uh, because this has happened cyclically over time in this kingdom, uh, the shield hero is um, the weakest and nobody really cares about him. It's so, like Captain America. Yes, actually, yeah. quite, uh, quite similarly so. Uh, so what's interesting about this is that he starts out as a loser. Uh, he's given a loser role. And then the story, which tends um, in very cliche fashion to always be in the favour of the protagonist. A lot of the genre leans towards that. Uh, the odds are stacked against him. He's betrayed mm-hmm. uh, and he's outcasted and he swears revenge. Uh, and then kind of the story comes from there. It's a fresh. It's kind of a fresh take from a very tried and true genre trope, and I think it's quite refreshing to see how they go about that. Uh, slightly darker than a lot of the ones that have come before. Like uh, if you've watched uh, that time I was reincarnated and slime, it's the total polar opposite of that. So cool. I recommend that. Uh, the other one is a horror based thing called The Promised Neverland, and it's basically about these orphans who kind of live in an idyllic orphanage uh, where they're treated well and uh, taken care by their um, orphanage mother, right? And one fine day, they basically discover that the orphanage, and this is not a spoiler because this is in the description, uh, they discover when they go to the entrance of the orphanage is that the orphanage is actually a farm for demons. So they're breeding, or not, not breeding, like collecting sacrifices? Uh, well, they do, they do bring up the concept of breeding, uh, but they are essentially growing children who are extremely smart so that they can be eaten by demons. Oh. Right? So it goes from this kind of very like idyllic kind of slice of life thing very quickly in the first episode uh, to a psychological horror um, thriller. Mm-hmm. Uh, so far, it's been great. 
Um, the kids are extremely smart and them having to contend with a world that they are unfamiliar with as well as uh, a lot of themes about breaking free of you know uh, hierarchy and adult uh, adult supervision um, runs through very nicely so the past three episodes have been very good I'm very excited for where this goes and hopefully they break out and we'll see where they go from there sweet right um, another one this time brought to you by Madhouse is Boogie Pop and the Others it's a very confusing anime. Uh, three episodes in, we are still not really sure what um, the protagonist is about. We are still not really sure what the overall theme is about. But what, from what I can gather so far, uh, is that you follow a um, an entity called Boogie Pop, who is essentially a Shinigami or like a, a Reaper, right? Who's hunting down um, humans who have been given supernatural powers by another entity called the Imaginator. And the powers that these humans receive are based upon how they perceive themselves within the world. Hmm. Right? So there are some pretty interesting um, applications of that uh, with some of the characters that you see and what people do with the power that they are given. Uh, so vastly confusing in the sense that there's, uh, they don't spoon-feed you any of the story. There hasn't been any exposition so far explaining what's been going on. You kind of have to piece it together episode by episode uh, with a huge cast of interweaving characters based in a particular city. Okay. Uh, but Madhouse traditionally has never done anything wrong, especially when they're trying to push boundaries um, f- in terms of storytelling as far as anime goes. So I'm very excited to see how this works out. It may very well be... Uh, a mess at the end of the season but three episodes in and I'm quite excited to see what's going on nice uh, we go on to two more con- comedic things um, we've got Kaguya-sama Love is War which is basically about these two high school students uh, from an elite school and they are both the student council president and vice president respectively the student council president is bright intelligent uh, as they come and the vice president um, is a girl who basically is um, going to inherit the biggest corporation in Japan. Oh, wow. Right? Uh, the two of them are in love with each other, but both view the confession of their love as weakness, and the entire story revolves around the comedy of them trying to uh, outmaneuver each other by getting the other to confess their love. Okay. Uh, very fun, uh, very witty, and I've been enjoying it so far. Uh, my favorite, though, mm-hmm. uh, is a slice of life comedy called My Roommate is a Cat. Uh, okay. It's about a horror novelist um, Who is shy and isn't very good with other people And adopts a stray cat that he comes across As uh, inspiration for his next upcoming horror novel uh, The premise is very simple He basically adopts the cat And it's about the two of them getting to know each other But how they go about doing it Is that the first half of the episode Is told from the eyes of the protagonist Whereas the second half of the episode Is told from the eyes of the cat uh, It's very fun It's very heartwarming uh, for anyone who has a cat, this is going to be pretty interesting for you. And uh, it's it's really good. Okay. Now, for not-so-good things, uh, Netflix recently just released the final installation of their Godzilla animation. Boo! Oh, good God. Like, I thought it couldn't get any worse. I was extremely excited because they... They cause, teased. Yeah, they teased yeah. Ghidorah, right? Yeah. And, and I thought, like, okay, you know, now we have two kaiju, maybe it can't get any worse than it is, but it is a mess. Uh, storytelling wise it is a mess thematically it is a mess it's very heavy handed and it's heavy handed and clumsy at the same time okay right so uh, as we've said before the whole idea of uh, you know humans being 
uh, humans and nature and environmentalism and all of that gets rehashed one more time wow. in almost the exact same manner. Okay. Right? And with Ghidorah as this giant avenging spirit, mm. right? In addition to Godzilla. Okay. Um, what a waste of animation. Yeah, man. What a waste of some amazing animation. Yeah, I gave up after the first movie. Yeah. So yeah. I, I've powered through, guys, just to tell you that... Uh, you don't need to watch. Yeah, you don't need to watch any of it. Um, it is breathtaking, the kind of CGI uh, that they've done. The Ghidorah, climatic Ghidorah fight was not climatic at all. Oh. Uh, they totally, totally underwhelming and they completely fucked with the whole idea of what okay. a kaiju fight should be. Shit. So I do not recommend that at all. Uh, that is quite simply like a 1 out of 10 overall for the trilogy. Uh, what a disappointment. Hopefully, what they're doing with the new monster universe is going to be much better than that. Yeah, yeah the Hollywood version. Yes, mean. that's right. The one with Millie Bobby Brown. Mm. Yes. So yeah. I'm actually really looking Watanabe. forward to that. The trailer yeah. is Let right. Them Fight. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the trailer's been looking great. Nice. Uh, so far, so I, I'm quite excited that and we'll cover that when it comes out. Sweet. Uh, just to tamba, um, Dragon Ball Super Broly, I actually oh, caught that. Yes. And how is it? Um, it is a colourful chaos. It okay. is anyone with a crude understanding of Dragon Ball mythology, which I, I don't. Oh, okay. But I have like a, a basic understanding of what Dragon Ball is, mm. uh, who the characters are, what the main arcs are. Um, we'll have fun with this uh, because this is Dragon Ball at, at its most action packed apogee. You know, it's fucking nuts. Yeah, that's what I heard. Um, it is, I guess it's not a great film. Okay. But I think Dragon Ball fans will leave very happy with this because uh, it's just pure action bonkers shit uh, right there. You know, you know, Dragon Ball fans love the power levels, love people yeah, yeah. fighting. And, and this is what the movie is all about. All right. Um, it actually made a shit ton of money in uh, America, surprisingly. It actually cracked the top five box office in January. Not bad. You know, it was right behind glass. Yeah. Uh, very surprising for a Japanese enemy. Yeah, uh, a lot of history about Dragon Ball. But I mean, uh, Dragon Ball is a staple. Uh. Mm. I mean, outside of like Pokemon, Dragon Ball, everybody knows what Dragon Ball and Naruto yeah. is, you know, yeah. stuff like that. Uh. So, um, if you want to check it out, it's actually available right now at Film Guard and, and mm. Golden Village. So, uh, check it. Let's cover Star Wars Resistance. We almost forgot about that, man. <laughs> Last month already, right? Yeah. Okay, no, actually, like, Star Wars Resistance is going to be wrapping up soon in a yeah. couple of weeks. But Hardy has actually caught most of it already. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, why don't you, like, give us a short breakdown on, on Star Wars Resistance? Okay, it's not very quick, two minutes only. Yeah. Well, first of all, right, it's a very good timeline because yeah. it, it covers the ROG, Return of Jedi, and uh, Force Awakens. Yeah. That period of time. Mm-hmm. So there's so much potential where you could explore and develop the world and to connect those two movies together, which the Star Wars Clone Wars did, mm-hmm. which Star Wars Rebels also did. Yeah. However? So however, right? Okay, first of all, the movie's too childish for me. The series? Uh, yeah, it's very generic, um, bumbling fool, uh, grows more competent as the season goes and then becomes a ace pilot by the end of the season mm. you know but he starts out as an idiot and then becomes very good at the end mm. that sort of thing la. Correct, yeah. uh, has, it, it's just basically all the tropes of every single Star Wars character you have ever had la. Right. you know you have the um, the very intelligent but not very um, not very socially no EQ you know that kind of thing uh, you have like the usual droids who are just either very um uh, petulant, you know, mm-hmm. they must have always a petulant droid. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, but then you have characters where um, there's so much potential here, mm. which I just find it's wasted, lah. The oh, animation no, also doesn't feel as tight as uh, Rebels mm. or even Clone Wars, yeah, yeah. Clone Wars was like I think the best. Yeah. 
um the fight the the because it's 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 uh, focused on like pilots and uh, on um, star battles and that i felt wasn't well executed also yeah. it felt very slow paced and all that which you don't expect from a star battle sure you know so overall um the the main story itself it's very uh kid friendly Yeah, which nothing wrong. I mean, Steven's universe, you know, kid friendly, right? Yeah. But has very deep themes and uh, mm. very well developed characters and all that. Something that was lacking in in Star Wars Resistance, lah. It's targeted clearly for like your five to seven year olds, mm-hmm. right? Where Rebels was more like your twelve to sixteen year olds, and Clone Wars was you know twelve to eighteen or something like that. So yeah, a lot of potential because of the time period where it's set, right? Where we could really explore and really. Um, connect two very important movies in the mm. franchise yeah. mm-hmm. but falls really short for me okay yeah okay okay, okay. Um, I mean good review how would you re- like rate the series as a whole at the moment I'll give it about 3 out of 10 damn very yeah. low I so, mean after we've been seeing Rebels and mm. how it changed the entire universe yes it did right and how the Clone Wars and how great You know, it made clone troopers look. Mm-hmm. You know, this doesn't really add anything to the universe now. So I, w- I guess not an essential a uh, piece of viewing if you are a Star Wars fan, lah. Okay, yeah. okay, I get that. It might improve. It, sure. Yeah. Um, the season is coming to an end. You can watch it on Disney, Disney XD, XD. actually. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, I guess we'll be back on February first. Yes. Uh, you know, it might be not. Um, actually, not February first. March first, right? March first. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, February first is when this episode will be yeah. coming out. But we will be talking about February titles. It is the shortest month of the year, but mm-hmm. we have a lot to talk about on the superhero end of things, which we always talk about. <laughs> uh, we have a uh, Young Justice uh, Outsiders, which I really, really love. So far, uh, so good. We'll be entering the Uncanny Valley when we watch Alita: Battle Angel. Yes. Um, we have a couple of very highly hyped animation titles. Uh, in terms of you know how to train your dragon tree, the mm. Hidden World, and the Lego Movie Two. Uh, also My Chemical Superheroes by uh, Gerard Way. Uh, the Umbrella Academy series is coming so to excited. Netflix. Yeah. Uh, we have actually a couple of weirdly enough two different time loop shows. One uh-huh. is Russian Doll, uh-huh. uh, by the makers of Orange is the New Black. Okay. Uh, a time loop show about a girl who goes to a party and dies. Mm-hmm. And then we have a uh, Happy Death Day to You, which is the sequel to Happy Death Day. Uh, which is a movie about a girl who goes to a party mm. and then dies. Oh yeah, yeah. I saw um, that. so it actually looks interesting. Yeah, I I loved Happy Death Day. I know, like I think I still hasn't seen it, but Happy Death Day was one of my guilt not guilty lah. It was just a pleasure. Okay, it's a really yeah. adorable time loop. Um, Embrace it, man. Yeah. So um, Happy Death Day to You is the sequel. Mm. Uh, the trailer looks like it's gonna. Expand the mythology and, every- okay. and everything. A uh, couple of smaller films I'll be covering also. One is Velvet Buzzsaw. Okay. Jillian Hall reteams with the director of Nightcrawler, Nightcrawler. Dan Gilroy, mm. uh, for this fascinating uh, evisceration of the LA art scene. Okay. And then I'll, I'll, this title describes it all. I'm going to be talking about a movie called The Man Who Killed Hitler and Then the Bigfoot. Oh. Starring Sam Elliott as a man who killed Hitler and then the Bigfoot. Oh, I love this kind of titles. Yes, I know. I love long titles. Yeah. Uh, and but weirdly enough, after watching the trailer, it feels like this meditation on aging about you know this man who had like a a, a storied past. He's done all these things, but now he can't do it anymore. Oh you know? no! It 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 looks more somber than I thought it was going to be. Okay, okay. I thought it was going to be this like pop action thing about a man who kills Hitler and like then the Bigfoot. Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Slayer. Something like that, lah. Yeah. But this looks to be a more thoughtful take on it. By the way, that's a real film. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And, and and last but not least, uh, one of our favorite shows from last year, uh, Counterpart, Counterpart is back. Ah, yes. We'll be we'll be talking about season two. Yeah. Uh, since season two has been uh, not a disappointment, shall nope, we say? Nope, nope, not nope. a disappointment at all. Uh, till then, this has been Hitzer. I'm Hardy. I'm Isa. We'll be back next month. See ya. Bye bye.